All right, welcome in to the pregame.com RJ Bell's Dream Preview College Football Edition Week 12. I'm AJ Hoffman. Joining me, Taylor McCard, uh, who we've found is now the winningest quarterback in the history of Rice football. To hell with Chase Clement, right? Hey, thank you. I've been waiting for however many episodes of this to be acknowledged. As such, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, great to be back. My, uh, we were joking off air. I've got, I hit my three star last week, and that's the only recap we need to do. <laughs> well, no, we we have to clean up some business from last week's show. <laughs> uh, Taylor, boy, I was like, man, Taylor's catching up with me. Taylor's catching up with me. It turns out you've been cheating, right? I, you guys said on air the under, and I was like, I must, I did get, I did give out the under. I am a genius, and then sure enough. We air it, and I had like five people tweet at me, and they're like, "Hey, McKenzie, who blew that, McKenzie? You or Brad? I'm not sure. I had it written down. It's it's my fault. I 100. percent Am I going to disbelieve the man? 100 <laughs> percent my fault. Now, AJ did say on air, he was like, and then the under hit, and I was like, damn, I did give out the under. But anyway, 100 percent my fault for anybody that uh, that I think if we went back to a text thread. You would tell me that you hit the under. I, I, I mean, that's the only reason I would have thought that that's what you had. It must've been, like I said, I, I will dive on this grenade. It was, it was my fault, uh, for anybody that took that over that I then turned around and tried to claim the under. I appreciate you calling me out. It's important. <laughs> um, but yeah, a big mea culpa. All right, let's take a look at, let's start with the college football playoff rankings. Um, not much changed at the top. Uh, Georgia, Bama, Oregon, Ohio State still one through four. I don't think we foresaw any change in that. Cincinnati five as they fail to cover again. But this is not a this is not a Cincinnati Bearcats podcast. This is not a, they're not good. Um, Michigan six with the win over Penn State. Michigan State seven. They get to pretend like they're good for one more week. Notre Dame eight. Oklahoma State nine. Wake Forest, 10. Oklahoma drops out of the top 10 all the way to 13. They're behind some two-loss teams now. That shows you how fed up the committee is with Oklahoma. Right. Like, you lose again. Oh, you're you're behind two-loss teams. See ya. Beat it. Uh, although Oklahoma, they've their toughest remaining games for strength of schedule purposes are their last remaining games. So who knows how far they can move back. I guess that's that's where we'll start. Is the Big 12 done with Oklahoma losing, or does Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, do? is there some path for one of those two teams to get there? Man, I call me crazy. I've, I've sat there and looked at this for a while after the rankings came out. I don't, I mean, it's not a massive uh, shot for them, but I do think there's an opportunity for Oklahoma State. I think there is a path with the games that they have remaining that they would likely, if they beat OU, they would likely play Baylor in the Big 12 championship. And they would have had to beat them twice, the second one being on a neutral site. And the the bigger piece for really everybody in the top 10, that, that if you're waiting to move up, you've got so many of these teams that are going to play one another and, and likely get bumped. And two of them right off the bat at six and seven, both have to play Ohio State. And I know we're going to get some Ohio State later, but if you watch them last week, feels like a team that is getting right at the right time of the year. And they are who now, who we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year when they had that loss to, to Oregon. Best offense in the country. I think they beat Michigan State this weekend, and I think they beat Michigan 
I believe that's on the road. But I, both of those teams, I think Ohio State beats, th- those teams will bump back. I think Oregon likely has a loss coming between either this weekend against Utah or in the Pac-12 championship. And then Bama is going to lose to Georgia, uh, likely. Maybe not. But I, I think Georgia beats this Alabama team. All of these things help Oklahoma State tremendously, especially with the strength of schedule they're going to have at the end of the year. And if they're sitting there with one loss, which is at Iowa State by a field goal, I think they're in over a two-loss Bama, over really everybody else. I mean, Oregon would be at two losses and not a Pac-12 champion. But even if they were, I think if Oklahoma State is a one-loss Big 12 champion, I think with everything I just laid out, I think they're probably in, which is crazy to think about. Here's why I'm not sure that they will get in, because they did not play a tough non-conference schedule. Uh, right. They did they didn't play a single power five team in their non-conference. They played Boise, who's I mean, you go to Boise, typically that feels like it should be a decent win. You'd like it to be your second best non-conference win, but it's their best one. They beat them by one point. They beat Tulsa by five. And maybe most damning is that they beat Missouri State by a touchdown in their opener. Like this is that's not the kind of statement you want to make when you when you play up against an FCS team. So I, I don't know that their their non conference schedule is going to be sexy enough to get them in. Uh, and Iowa State's really done them no favors. Iowa State has kind of fallen off the map. And now that loss doesn't look as I mean, it, when you when you really think about it, Oklahoma, if Oklahoma were to win out, you could make a case that they they're the better they've got the better resume. They have the the loss on the road at Baylor, which by by thirteen instead of by three, but they played Nebraska non conference. Uh, the the FCS team they played Western Carolina they beat seventy six to nothing. So I, I think the Big 12, I still think the Big 12's best chance is Oklahoma because Oklahoma gets Iowa State. They get at, they're at Oklahoma State. They would have a road win against a top 10 team in the rankings, and then they would presumably play uh, either, either Baylor or Oklahoma State again and have a chance to either double up on a team that was just ranked in the top 10 or avenge a loss to Baylor. So I, I still think Oklahoma gives them the best chance, even though they're playing from a, a deeper position right now. But I, I, I'm starting to think the Big 12 in general is kind of a long shot. Yeah, I, I'm also intrigued by the, the idea that Notre Dame may be 11-1 and one and on the outside looking in because – it, and it's not their fault, but a lot of these teams that they have scheduled, if you looked at this preseason, you would have thought, man, this is a, a pretty stout schedule. And then by the end of the year, some of the, the usual suspects, Florida State, that a field goal win. I mean, Florida State's playing better now, but it's still not a very good football team. Their best win's going to be Wisconsin. Um, but, you know, the loss at home to Cincinnati and then, you know, the back half of the schedule, Virginia's quarterbacks hurt when they play them. Georgia Tech's not very good. And Stanford's falling off a cliff with North Carolina's not as good as they were supposed to be. USC with Clay Hell. I mean, you go down the list, their resume is just not very good. And is it possible that 11 and one? I think what would hurt uh, Notre Dame most this season is that they don't have a conference championship and you're going to have. 
I mean, I think about what do you do, and I don't think this will happen, but what do you do if Wake Forest wins out and they're 12-1 and one ACC champions? I mean, are they are we leaving them out? What do you yes. do with Oklahoma State, right? But, but that's, I think, some of the scenarios you have to think through with Georgia, I think, is not going to lose. I think they beat Alabama. I think Ohio State, if they play like they did even half as well as they did against Purdue last week, they're in. The three and four spot, to me, Wide open. And as much as we've written off Cincinnati for their midseason conference performance, as we as I, you know, it's the criticism is well deserved. Their best games are ahead of them. And if they win those convincingly and you've got all these two lost teams behind them, it almost feels like the committee's gonna say, Man, we're sure we're gonna put in Cincinnati at the four spot because guys, everybody behind you. You had a chance, and none of you are really deserving. It's kind of my point about Oklahoma State. Yeah, their resume is not that good, but look at what's around you. There's just not that many really good college football teams this year. You have uh, you have a handful of uh, you know above average good quality teams coming out of the Big Twelve and and the the Big Ten, but you don't have those. Think about years past where you had Clemson, Ohio State, Bama, these dominant teams. And you're this. It's a stacked college football playoff. That is not going to be the case this year. You're going to have Georgia, probably Ohio State, and then three and four. Man, it's going to be. I mean, these these next couple of weeks, and then championship Saturday. It's going to be entertaining because there's going to be a, the dominoes are going to start to fall over these last three weeks. You know, I, I, the one team that I'm not sure why they're getting hated on as much as they are is Oregon. I maybe I'm maybe I'm on a limb by myself, and I'm I'm the only one who thinks this Oregon team is actually legit. But I, I, the loss to Stanford it looks worse and worse. Although I mean, Stanford now without their quarterback is just a trash can. They've I mean, got they, so many injuries. So when they played Stanford, Stanford wasn't a total train wreck, and the Pac-12 came out and basically said, "Yeah, we we screwed that officiating up. This is this was a mistake." So it's almost a forgivable loss. They've got a better win than really anybody in the country has, other than maybe Texas A&M over Alabama. Their their other non-conference win was Fresno, who turns out Fresno's pretty good. Um, and I, I think if Oregon can go in and win at Utah, and we'll, we'll discuss that game uh, when we talk about it, this is there's three games this week that I think um, immediately impact what the rankings will look like next week and will really decide the fate of a few teams. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into these, but I wonder why no one is taking Oregon seriously because it yeah. seems like they deserve more credit than they've gotten. And, and sure, the, the loss is bad. Who, who doesn't have a loss that doesn't look great at this point other than Georgia? I am in the camp. I have fallen guilty of assuming that they will lose either this weekend to Utah or – in the Pac-12 championship. I, if they don't, if they win out, they, they beat Utah, beat Oregon State, and then likely play Utah again for the Pac-12 championship and win those three, well, then they're in. And I will have been wrong like all of these other people that you're talking about. But I think there's a reason they're a dog this weekend. And What's I the reason, though? I, I don't think they're going to get through. This is going to be Anthony Brown's biggest test of the season, I think even more so than going in to play Ohio State. They're going to. How can that force- be? I mean, like that's. Everyone says Ohio State's like the toughest road trip you can make. 
they made it, and, and really that game, the final score being a seven-point win, that game wasn't as close as a seven-point game. Like, I, I don't understand why everyone just said, oh, how are they going to go to Utah and win? I, I mean, they've they've had the toughest road game you can have, and they passed it. We'll see. I think going to Utah on a night game and playing meaningful football, it's a tough place to play. And if they get through this one, they'll make me a believer. I Again, I think there's a reason that they're a dog in this game. I'm not the only one that, that thinks this way. You're not. Um, but if they do, and then they beat Oregon State, and then they win the Pac-12, they're in. There's no mistake about it. One loss, Pac-12 champion Oregon with a road win at Ohio State. Are you kidding me? Of course, they're going to be – what would be funny – is if Ohio State wins out, do they stay at the two spot and Oregon's the three? I mean, it won't matter because they play one another again, but I just think it'd be funny that Oregon beats Ohio State and then they're somehow, I mean, they're, they're ranked ahead of them right now, so I don't think that would happen. But because of the late season games that Ohio State has that are against ranked teams, I don't know. The, the committee does goofy stuff, so we'll see. So let's talk about Alabama for a minute. If Alabama and the odds currently say Alabama is minus one thirty, yes, they will make the playoff. So they are a favorite to make it to the playoff right now. And we're assuming, and actually, the line came out today that Georgia is a is the look ahead is a three point favorite on a neutral against Alabama. You can what was the money line on that? Was it plus one thirty five, something like that, McKenzie? That's right. Georgia minus one fifty five. Take back plus one thirty five. Okay, so you're saying in that one game, Alabama would pay plus one thirty five, and if they win that game, they're certainly in. But what the odds are telling you at minus one thirty, you're having to pay more if you think Alabama's going to make the playoffs than just win that game. What those numbers are telling you is Alabama can afford a loss and still get in the playoff. Do you believe that to be the case? Do you think Alabama can lose a game and still make it in? Yeah, because it goes back to what I was saying uh, with Oklahoma State and my reasoning for they're going to get in, not because of their resume, but because of everything that's gone on around them. Alabama doesn't have a great win on their record. They just don't. But – they're going to have those what, what the committee loves those quality losses, even though a And M losing to Ole Miss the way they did doesn't help. If they're a two loss team sitting there with, think about what I was just talking about with if Oklahoma State doesn't win out, if they drop another one, okay, well then Alabama would would be in ahead of them. A one loss, I think about Wake Forest. If Wake Forest were to win out, ACC champion is OU as a two loss team getting in ahead of them. I think probably is the one that I dread the most just out of principle, even though I do think they're the, they're the better team. Cincinnati wins out and it comes down to some scenario where one, two, and three are spoken for. And that four spot is, do you put in undefeated Cincinnati or two loss Alabama? I think it's probably Alabama. I think they probably deserve it more. It's the better football team, but I mean, my the reason I hope that does happen is I think it would immediately blow up what the current system we have. I think we would get to the expanded playoff the the following day. Um, but all of these scenarios I'm going through, you have so many teams that even could potentially be a Power Five conference champion that a two loss Alabama goes in ahead of, and that's what makes this year really unique is having the Big Twelve what you would consider down. The ACC is down. 
Alabama is they're going to be given the benefit of the doubt, even though when you get to the end of the season, what's their I mean, what is their best win? Their best win right now is, is Ole Miss, and they, they dominated Ole Miss. And I guess probably their the second and third best win they can get are their next two games, Arkansas and, and then a win at Auburn. So, and what you'll be able to also say for them is their worst losses would be a three-point loss at Texas A&M and then a loss against Georgia who nobody can beat. So... And they've they've got I mean there's wins on their on their record at Mississippi State where they they dominated uh, Tennessee these are their quality wins they're not whoa this is like they shouldn't be your second or third best win on your resume um, but they're also I mean Tennessee is better than everyone that that Cincinnati's played except for Notre Dame and I, I think that the committee is going to have to consider things like that. Like, okay, Cincinnati played this game against Notre Dame. It was tough. They won. What else did they do? And, you know, SMU and UH in the presumably in the championship game, that gives them some cachet. And the, and the committee did move the University of Houston into the top 25 this week. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. I, yeah, all right. The only other one before we move on that would be interesting is – like we talked about Notre Dame wins out and let's assume Cincinnati loses. Let's just, for the sake of argument, you have all of these teams that lose ahead of them, but Notre Dame continues to win. And then it be, it's, it's one loss Notre Dame non-conference champion or two loss Alabama. They're getting in ahead of them too. So just it's all these examples. When you think through them individually, it leads you to, yeah, two loss Alabama has got a really good chance at getting in, no matter how much you hate the thought of a two loss team SEC or not, that's a non-conference champion. But there's, I'll say it one more time. There's just not that many good, really college, really good college football teams this year. Well, let's talk about a really bad one, real quick. At Florida International, all right. Butch Davis coming out and saying, "I'm done. I'm out of here." Now, I've made money the last couple of weeks fading Florida International. I said, "I think this team's quit," and now Butch Davis makes it official. He quits. First of all, I want to know what you think of. If if what Butch Davis is saying is true, if they're not allowed to go on the road and recruit, if they're wearing nine year old jerseys, if they're if they're you know their shoulder pads are hand me downs from SEC schools, is Butch Davis right to say they don't care enough about this program for me to care? Man, normally I hate when stuff like this happens. Normally, if a coach is is on their way out and they're sending parting shots, I hate it. But in this instance. I appreciate it because I think he's shedding light on bigger issues that that go all the way to the top. And I think about, for those of you that have followed Conference Realignment all the way down into Conference USA, that Conference USA is a shell or, or will be a shell of what it once was. And the teams that are remaining, almost all of them, even the ones that have stayed, were considering moving elsewhere, whether it was the MAC, whether the Mountain West, the American, whatever. FIU was the only school, to my knowledge, that – they made no statement as, as all of this was going on. There was no public statement. There was, there was nothing by the AD or the university, the president of the university. And I believe it was after the Marshall loss or it may have been one of the home losses, but Butch Davis is the person that gets asked, can you speak to carpentry alignment? And the fact that it got to him and he had to say, you're going to have to ask the administration. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't speak to that. That was a, a kind of a look under the hood a little bit at what a dysfunctional organization this is. 
So I believe him when he says, hey, we had to get these pads. I mean, they're using used pads from Mississippi State. This is a Division I program. It, it comes down to pride. I mean, there's 55,000 students at FIU, and every one of them, I looked this up, have $16 per credit hour that goes to athletics. So this isn't like it's totally neglected. There's some reason why it's not made a priority, or not even a priority. It's really being treated like an afterthought. So I don't have a problem with Butch Davis coming out and saying these things because it needs to be addressed. You're, you're wasting kids' time. I mean, how do you recruit kids to come there and then say, you know, it, it's such an arms race, even down to Conference USA with facilities and little things that you wouldn't necessarily think win kids over, but you can lose a recruit if they find out, hey, we haven't had new jerseys in nine seasons. That's a big deal. So all of these things that he aired out, it makes it impossible to, to recruit. And then you see the results on the field when these, these kids aren't, I mean, they know what's going on. So half of them are probably looking around the portal saying, man, I'm getting the hell out of here. Um, so again, normally I hate when, Coaches take their parting shot. They blame everybody but themselves and their staff when they stink. But in this instance, they had their best three run in FIU history, 17, 18, 19, beat Miami a couple years ago. And then since then, since COVID hit, it's just turned into a complete disaster. It's funny. Like, I wonder, because you remember Florida International, they've only, they haven't been around for a long time. 2002 is when the program started. And then in 2005, they moved to – Division one. It was one division one A at the time, which is now what we know as FBS. Like, if you're not gonna, I mean, if you're not gonna commit to things as simple as buying shoulder pads for your players, like, what are you even doing running a college football program? Why, right. why do you even have it? And so it, that it tells you either it's not making money and they shouldn't have it, or it's it's making money and you're using it somewhere that it probably shouldn't be moving, right? Or we shouldn't be being used, right? Yeah. I call games at the FBS and FCS level. And there are schools at the FCS level, which with much smaller budgets that it, it's a pride thing. It's we're going to, we're going to figure out where to pull the resources from to make sure that these kids that we're recruiting here, we give them the best experience possible it's the exact opposite is what it sounds like at FIU. And if you're trying to get kids to compete at the FBS level, where I, again, I know it's conference USA this year. I think it's the worst conference in college football. Maybe it's the Mac, but it's one of the bottom two, even at that level, it is hard to recruit and going to bowl games. That's how these guys keep their jobs. And when your kids find out you had to buy used shoulder pads from Mississippi state, and you don't replace your equipment, that's a humongous red flag. And that gets used against you. I mean, that's the stuff that I'm going in a completely different direction, but that's why Cal is going to have a terrible time recruiting when they're the COVID protocols that they're having to go through and they're having to forfeit games when the rest of the country has is not having to deal with those things. Coaches use that stuff against those programs. And they're going to use that stuff against these kids at FIU that are getting recruited and say, hey, look, you're not going to have to worry about where your shoulder pads came from if you come to fill in the blank school. So um, you got to treat it better than, than how it's being treated right now. And man, kudos to whoever takes that job because whoever is next is, is inheriting uh, not a job that I would want. 
It's wild to think that Mario Cristobal got fired from that place. Which is, yeah, it's <laughs> unbelievable that he was ever even there. I mean, it was his first head coaching job, but my God, how do you have that guy and be like, no, you're no, not good you're enough. Not it. Well, it's, I think it's part of what we'll talk about next, but I think everybody's just lost their freaking minds with the hiring and firing of – the coaching carousel is – you get on a high horse. I think it's just completely lost control, but I, I'm – I may be in the minority on that. Well, let's get into Justin Fuente. And he, he just fired from Virginia Tech. Um, well, they parted ways, I should say. Yeah. I, maybe, may, I, don't, I don't know if they, what they're calling it exactly, but he's not going to coach anymore. Um, what are your thoughts on what Fuente's done at Virginia Tech and his, his record there, 43-31? and 31. So This is his sixth season there. 28 and 20 in conference, uh, four bowl games. They go one and three in those bowl games. Probably not what Virginia Tech hoped he would be when they got him from Memphis. But given, like, what kind of job do you think Virginia Tech is right now? And are they going to go out and get someone better than Justin Fuente? And where does Justin Fuente go from here? Yeah. Right as I say that I think the coaching carousel's lost control. This is actually one of the guys that I, I did think probably needed to go. And w- after you get into a fifth and sixth season and you've had a chance to recruit that many classes, if you're still hovering around 500 or just a hair over 500 and you're at a place like Virginia Tech, it's probably time to go. Um, when you get to that level and you have that many years, my issue more really revolves around the guys that they're in their first year. I mean, I live in Austin. Everybody is losing their minds over Steve Sarkeesian. And they stink. Don't get me wrong. And the loss to Kansas is humiliating. But if you, you think fire that... Fire that guy? Right. If you think that... And the, I'm, I'm really speaking to the message board fans and the, the fans at some of these major programs that just have these, these expectations that in a year or two, you are going to become Nick Saban in Alabama. There's a reason there's only a handful of the... Ryan Days, Urban Myers, Nick Saban's of the world, Pete Carroll when he was at SC. They're rare. They're hard to find. I, going back to Justin Fuente, 43-31 and 31 at Virginia Tech is not very good. You have the resources. You play in a conference that really is, especially on your side, you should be in the, the, couple, the top couple spots in the coastal side of that division. I mean, Miami's been down lately. If you're you know, if you're struggling to stay around North Carolina and Virginia at a place like Virginia Tech, that's where I mean, you've got problems. Um, I think it is one of the upper echelon ACC jobs, but it's still not it's not a blue chip program. It's not what Frank Beamer had it at one point. Uh, but I think his longevity there is part of what made it such a good job. It was because of him, not necessarily the school. Uh, but I do think it's an upper echelon ACC job. But it's not the, the the blue chips of the world. It doesn't belong in the the Texas, Ohio State, Notre Dame's of the world. I think it's the the next notch down. But again, w- when you're at a place like that for that long, I give credit to you know maybe the COVID year bought him some time. But five or six years to me is about the appropriate amount of time. Uh, barring you've got culture issues and you've got or you're just truly terrible, but once you get into that fifth and sixth year, if you're still at 500 or a hair over 500, time to part ways, and, and I, that's exactly where they were. And the last thing I'll say on this, 
not a ton of support from players or anything. If you look through Twitter and comments that alumni are making, not a lot of guys that are like, oh, no, this is terrible. We can't fire. Like there was none of that. It was it feels like a mutual uh, parting of ways. I think the worry, though, becomes it in a year where USC is they've got a job opening. You've got LSU with a job opening. You're probably at this point going to have Florida with a job opening. Like, are you going to? Ta- are you are you okay taking the fourth guy? Like, if if you're Virginia Tech, like, so is the fourth guy in this hiring cycle going to be better than Justin Fuente? I guess that's kind of the question. Yeah, that goes a little bit back to what I was saying with the, the coaching carousel being just out of control. Um, think about. Lake at Washington being let go. I mean, that it sounds like. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. So that's that makes Virginia Tech the fifth best job. Yeah, I, that one. It's. I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, which I hate. But you got to read the tea leaves a little bit in Washington as well. They're recruiting. He was sort of hired in house. It was the uh, the heir apparent, and recruiting had fallen off a cliff. Um, I think the smacking the kid on the helmet. I, 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 they didn't reference any of that in his firing which you know, credit to them. I'm glad they didn't because I didn't think he deserved to be suspended for that game. But that was one where it felt like they just missed. Um, Matt Wells at Texas Tech recognized they just missed. But, man, you go back to all of these jobs that are now created, where where are you going to get these guys at all of these places? I mean, there's, there's, only, there's only one Luke a, Fickle out there. Right, and, and is – is James Franklin, is that going to become the savior? I mean, he's got Penn State at a a pretty good level, but they're well, not. All that, does is not open up, all that does is open up another job that's better right. than Virginia get, Tech or, or, or Washington. Right, and we get back on the carousel. Now, there's 130 FBS teams, and by nature of the coaching profession, these guys just shuffle around. And when you get handed, it's it's your time, and you get the golden ticket, and your stock is hot, you better jump on it and ride that wave as far as you can and ride the rocket ship and make all your money because the likelihood is the, the odds say you're going to get to the top. And I mean the top, like the upper echelon of college football, you're going to be there for three or four years. You're not going to win consistently. You're going to be fired and go back down to whatever level you want at. That's, that's typically what happens. And I think you're going to see another round of that. There, there's two different schools of thought for hiring. There's, do you go with a hot coordinator that is doing it at one of the blue chip programs, or do you go with a head coach that's winning at the you know the, the group of five level, or sometimes even the FCS level, depending on what the job is? I tend to think for most jobs, you want to bring somebody that's already been a head guy before, uh, because recruiting is such a big part of the of the college football landscape. And if you haven't recruited as a head guy before, and you get to that even a Virginia Tech level job. That is really freaking hard to do. And the best coaches in college football, in my opinion, are the ones that just never stop recruiting. Nick Saban, for all of his genius as a football coach, you think about every statement he makes, every interview he does, he is always recruiting. Ryan Day works in recruiting in almost everything he talks about. Uh, Urban Meyer, incredible recruiter. I think about when I was getting recruited, Kevin Sumlin, hands down, now I know his his is the end of his tenure wasn't very great at Arizona, but when he had him rolling at A&M, phenomenal recruiter. Those are the guys that you want to try and find because as long as you have dudes, man, you can overcome a lot of problems if you get those four and five stars. 
Yeah, I think the guys, the, the Urban Meyer's name is going to get kicked around a lot this offseason, especially <laughs> if Jacksonville is bad again. Like if they, if they continue to be bad, like he'll he'll get calls and he like Virginia Tech's not going to be on his radar. That'll be USC, LSU, Florida would be possibilities. I don't even think Florida would be a possibility to be honest. So, but then everybody else, it's going to be you're you're looking at Luke Fickle. You're looking at maybe Bill O'Brien is going to get a look. That wouldn't shock me. I think that some of the the. The group of five guys, I think Billy Napier from Louisiana is going to get a, a big job. Uh, I, I yeah. think that even though he's he's a, a total douchebag, uh, I, I think that Jamie Chadwell from Coastal Carolina is going to get a that good job. One. That, that yeah. is the name that I think uh, – expect to hear that a bunch with Virginia Tech. But, but look what's happened now that he doesn't have a quarterback. They stink. Um, oh. I think that Bill Clark at UAB will probably get tossed around a little bit. I wonder if people are willing to take a look at Hugh Freeze again. Uh, that might be one. But I think the one that Virginia Tech you're going to hear a lot about is Shane Beamer, who has South Carolina at 500, which is, I mean, right now that's pretty good. I don't know if South Carolina to Virginia Tech is is an upgrade. I, I, I don't know if that is. I, I, I mean, you're, you're in the SEC. You've got – it's not like South Carolina is not going to spend money on their program. Like, they're willing to give you what you need. It's just finding somebody who can win there. Is is Shane Beamer a guy? Like, would is that a, a an upgrade moving to Virginia Tech and coaching in your dad's shadow? Yeah, I, I that is hundred percent comes down to personality, and I don't know Shane Beamer at all. But that to me comes down to: Do you want to go where your dad was? And some people do, and some people don't. That 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 spans all walks of life and all types of business. Do you want to go into the family business? Do you want to go somewhere that that your parents have already been or your dad's been? Some guys do it and some guys don't. And I could totally see him saying, I'm good here. I could stay in the SEC East. By no means easy, but it's easier than being on the West side. And if he believes in himself and his staff, there's a, a chance for you to chart your own path and make your own name in the SEC and not go. Because it would be in some ways like Cliff Kingsbury going back to Tech where you'll get the benefit of the doubt a season or two longer than most guys. But the same thing. I mean, if you – ride the wave and it doesn't work out you're going to be out just like the next guy and then you were the you know your son wasn't as good as the father was at, at the same program so I don't know to me that comes down purely to personality type I wouldn't do it I would want to stay at South Carolina because again out of the SEC East you can play second fiddle to you know depending on Georgia and Florida whoever's at the top at the time and build that up and, and win plenty of games on that side of the conference and, and in your non-conference but, uh, you know, I, that, that's just me. All right, let's get into the, uh, the game previews and let's get into the big games first. Let's start with, like I said, we've got three games that, are, that all have an immediate and direct impact on the college football playoff landscape. And we'll start with that Oregon game that we talked about. Kind of, we've hinted about kind of a, a, a lot. And I think we're going to be on different sides of this thing. Oregon is plus three and a half at Utah. And... Everyone I've talked to, you, I mean, seems like they think that Oregon's run ends here. And I'm just not sold on that. Because since Kayvon Thibodeau got healthy, this Oregon defense has carried their offense, which is, is one-dimensional. Their offense is a one they're, – they're a running – it's almost like Michigan. Like, it, if they're throwing the ball, it's bad news. And Utah has been – they've been great on offense – but they haven't seen many good defenses all season. 
especially recently. The, the, the last four weeks, PFF grades their opponents 94th, 102nd, 117th, and 119th on D. So, of course, Utah looks really good on offense right now. The two, the two best teams that they've played uh, in, on defensive grading for PFF, San Diego State and BYU. They're two losses. Uh, and Oregon slots in five spots behind BYU. I mean, this is – and that if they had Thibodeau all season, they'd be ahead of BYU. This is one of the better defenses that Utah will have seen this year. We always talk about defense travels. That's what they say, defense travels. Duck, they've got the best pass rush that Utah will see all year. The only team better at stopping the run is Arizona State. And speaking of run stopping, Utah does not do it. 102nd in the country in tackling, which becomes a problem when you're facing an offense. It's just going to run all day. I know it's on the road. I know Utah's tough there. I still feel like this Ducks team is being underappreciated for what they've done. Tell me why I'm wrong. Yeah. First off, incredibly evenly matched teams. Like if you go down statistically in most metrics, they're not far off from one another in a lot of ways. Um, I think Utah last week, a lot has been made of of them struggling against Arizona. I think that was 100% a you're, you're going to Arizona in a day game. You've got the look ahead against Oregon. I would not expect there to be much of a hangover. In fact, I think that was the hangover game for them. Um, to me, this all comes down to Anthony Brown because you made mention of it. Oregon ran for over 300 yards last week against Wazoo. So that's their that's what they do. It's their identity, just like Michigan, like you said. This, to me, is just going to come down to Utah. I mean, they, they do struggle tackling. When you watch them play, there are plenty of games where it takes the second and third guy to bring them down. But if you look at total yards allowed a game, 346, I mean, this it's a pretty good defensive unit. It's not a bad defensive unit. To me, expect Utah to make Anthony Brown beat them through the air. I would expect a lot of guys close to the box. I would expect a lot of man defense. And doing that on the road with a quarterback that – he did play played out of his mind against Ohio State. He played fantastic. But since then, outside of – I mean, he threw – I don't have it in front of me. He threw for like 146 yards against Wazoo. Uh, I think it was raining for a, a decent portion of that game. But it, it hasn't shown enough to me to say if a defense sells out and forces you to beat them through the air, is he going to be able to do it? To me, it, it's you know, I'm not sold on that. Um, there's not really a side in this game that I love. It would be purely a stay away game for me. Um, but I, you're right. This is one that one way or the other is going to have immediate impacts on the, on the playoffs. I mean, it's, it's the three and a half implies that these teams are equal at, at work or maybe, maybe even that Utah's a little bit better on a neutral field. Yeah. I, I just can't get there with that. I, I don't understand what we've seen on the field. That, that could take anyone to that, especially given that Oregon did go in and beat o- Ohio State. I, I feel like it's it's a uh, it, it's disrespectful to to and really, I mean, think about this: Oregon's playing with a backup running back who hasn't really missed a beat. I mean, it's it they lose their running back, and it's like, ah, we're good. We, we got we got more guys. And you're right; I get it. The the Anthony Brown, like what he, but what he's asked to do is not screw things up like the 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 only game that they've really said okay the game plan is going to be 
for you to chuck the ball around. I, there's two of them. The Colorado game, they had him chuck it around. And it, it was his best game of the season. I mean, he, he threw for 300-something yards. He had three touchdowns, 80% completions. Colorado stinks. I, I, I don't look too much into it. The other one was the UCLA game. And they had a, a, a very pass-heavy game plan in that game. And he didn't look great. He, he turned the ball over a couple times. That was probably his worst game. Outside of those two games, the other the 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 most pass heavy game was probably the Ohio State game, and he was good. He he was he was efficient. He like the he had a low completion percentage in that game. He didn't he he didn't connect on some big shots, but he didn't turn the ball over. He kept them in the game. He kept he played with a lead. I, I guess I maybe I trust him more than I should. But this is a guy who, given that he's he's never going to be a great passer. But given the fact that he's he's only turned the ball over four times all season, I'll take that out of this guy. And if, if he can play a clean game against Utah, I, I think they're going to win this game. So uh, that that one will certainly go a long way in deciding things. And, and if if Oregon wins that, I think they'll probably be favored in the uh, Pac-12 championship game. I think right now they they would not be because uh, everybody for some reason has this doubt on them. If they go into Utah and win that game, I think they're going to start getting a lot more respect, and I think they're probably headed to the playoff. All right, let's look at another one that I think has immediate impact, and that's SMU and Cincinnati. I'll let you go ahead and take the lead on this one. SMU plus 12 at Cincinnati this weekend. Yeah, here's your shot, Cincinnati, to start getting on the right side of this thing, and we let off with um, there's there are going to be dominoes falling ahead of you. And there, there is a path. I, I don't think it's unlikely, and I shouldn't say unlikely. I don't think it's impossible for Cincinnati to get in the college football playoff. I, early in the earlier in the year, I said it's not going to happen. There's no way. But you have so many teams that already have one loss that I think are going to get a second loss. That with that Notre Dame win earlier in the year, there is a a chance. There is a path where it could happen if enough teams ahead of them lose that we've covered there's potential for that to happen, but the middle of their schedule and how they looked against teams like UCF, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, not great performances, even against USF last week. At one point in that game, USF, it's like a 75 yard touchdown, cuts it to a one score game. And you're like, man, are they, are are we really going to do this again? Cincinnati with, with South Florida who can't beat anybody. Um, But here's your, your shot against SMU which is not an incompetent football team. It's a decent football team. Tanner Mordecai playing really well for them at quarterback. You go win this convincingly at home. I think it it's, it's the right timing and it's convenient for people to start, you know, the national buzz to get on your side. The, the next week at ECU, probably either way, even if you blow them out, I don't think it moves the needle much. But then the, the final game against Houston, likely Houston in the AAC championship, I think it's, it's possible against SMU. I mean, this is the key stat that jumped out to me. SMU is 107th in the country in yards allowed per pass attempt. So they give up shot plays is all that means. It's not just the intermediate. Um, SMU is also one and six against the spread on the road this year. That's not a very good road team and expect Desmond Ritter. I was about to say, expect them to hit the shot plays. It's actually been what they've, they've struggled to do most of the year. Offensive line for Cincinnati has not been nearly as good it's as they bad. were last year. Yeah, it's one of the more poor units, really, in the whole conference. Um, but here's your chance to get right. 
because this is not a very good secondary for SMU. And if you can hit those shot plays, and we know they can run the ball effectively, but you get it done through the air as well and, and have this be a three or four score win, I think that's where you start to get some of that momentum back on your side that they lost in that middle part of the conference schedule. So I agree with a lot of what you said about SMU's defense and being they're not a good road team. I, I agree with all those things. Here's the other side of the coin. This is the second best team overall, the second best team overall that Cincinnati's seen all season. This is far like everyone talks about how great this secondary is for Cincinnati. This there's just studs everywhere in the secondary. Well, guess what? They're about to see a, a living, breathing, pulsing passing offense for like the third time this season. The best passing offense that they've seen this year, you want to take a guess? Miami of Ohio. That's the mm. best, the highest graded passing offense they've seen all season long. And it was like, oh, their secondary so great. Oh, yeah. That was in week one. The only other top 50 passing team they've seen is Notre Dame. And that was back in the the we play multiple quarterbacks phase. That's what like Drew Pine was getting the same. I was going to say of, good for Notre Dame for being in the top in the in uh, the top fifty. Yeah, that, that's what, Drew Pine got the exact same amount of snaps that Jack Cohn did during that game. Five of the nine opponents that Cincinnati's faced rank outside the top one hundred in passing, and now they get Tanner Mordecai and SMU who have been one of the best passing offenses in the country all year. PFF grades them sixth in passing. Their receiver, their receiving unit is graded eighth. Their pass blocking grades eighth. And then you mentioned that Cincinnati offensive line. They are Cincinnati. They grade 81st nationally pass blocking. SMU has the top three sack leaders in the conference. Number one, number two, number three, all play for the same team. They're going to put pressure on the quarterback like they haven't seen yet. And I think with their shot at the conference gone, because remember two weeks ago, SMU was like, they felt like hell if yeah. we went out, we've got a chance at, at you know, being mm-hmm. the, that team. That's gone now. You still, but you don't you think they want to play spoiler to this team? I mean, to me, they, they've got to want to be, they've got to want to ruin this season for Cincinnati. And this is a Cincinnati team we've been saying for weeks. They need style points. They're going to go out there and make a statement. They don't. They didn't do it against Navy. They didn't do it against Tulane. They didn't do it against Tulsa. They didn't do it against South Florida. They're not making a statement, not because they don't want to. They're just not that good. And it's cool beating the shit out of, you know, Temple. That's It's nice. Uh, at the time, it's, it felt like that win at Indiana meant something turns out it meant absolutely nothing yeah they're awful so it's you've got you're really hanging your hat your entire season is resting on one game and it was it's a good win it's it, you know what it's a great win but you ha- I mean the what would you say the next best team that they've played so far is after Notre Dame um I mean god that's a terrible I mean if, if you go by if you go by Sam, if you go by the American standings it's Central Tulsa? Florida Central Florida. Well, I mean, man, that's not a very good team either. I they're mean, six and four. Yeah, that, that's what I was trying to say a second ago. They're two out of their last three games will be their second and third best wins if they win both of them, and it won't even be close. If it, assuming they beat SMU and they were to beat Houston, 
in the I mean, you could you could argue that their next three games are their toughest games left. Yeah, including Eastern, at including East Carolina. Eastern. Yeah, they're bowl eligible. I mean, it's not that's not a bad team. No, and East Carolina they're the the only teams ahead of the standing ahead in the standings of East Carolina are Houston, Cincinnati, and SMU. Yeah. So they're they're a challenge. I just think that Cincinnati is is they're living on like they're living on the edge and it doesn't feel like they're real. This team is not nearly as good as they were a year ago. And we're all pretending like they are because, well, it's two straight years where they've been undefeated besides their bowl game. And I I just feel like this year is just fool's gold because they haven't really been pushed. And and I I think – I don't know if SMU beats them, but I don't have any reason to believe that Cincinnati is going to beat this team by 12 points. I I don't know how that's I mean they couldn't beat Tulsa by 12 points. They couldn't beat Navy by 12 points. This is the best offense they've seen all year by far. What makes me think that they're going to just blow this team out because we we haven't seen that in a while now. So I I, I like SMU plus 12. Uh I like I said, I don't know if they lose this game. I'm already I'm waiting for a number to get released because I'm I will be on Houston. I will be on the University of Houston against Cincinnati. Houston is better than Cincinnati. And th- their record says 9 and 1 and Cincinnati says 10 and 0. Houston is a better football team. So I am waiting for the the other shoe to drop on the Cincinnati team. I'm not a buyer, I'm not a believer. I think SMU's got as good a chance as anybody to beat them. Well, we'll see. The again, the for Cincinnati, you're going to get – I said it at the beginning talking about this. Here's your shot. You're going to have everybody's attention for the next couple weeks, and they really have for a while, but especially down the stretch. It, it feels like everybody – I mean, so many people are rooting for this team, and I, me included. I think it would be great to see them in this format where the committee wants absolutely nothing to do with them getting you in. Think it'd be, you just, think it'd be great to see the, the 12th best no, team in the country get, make the playoff? No, they would I don't get, need that. I, I think they're going to get if, – if they beat – or sorry, if they were to play Georgia – I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I, I'm not even sure what the line would be. Um, but they've got – here's your shot. Here's the, the national attention that's going to be on you. And it is the most important game of the year for them. Even I – I mean – in some ways, you could make you could say it's it's more important than the Notre Dame game was at the time because now you've got all the wins behind you, and now not only do you have to win, you've got to do it convincingly. Here's a list of teams. Just this is just a few of them that I would I would bet over Cincinnati on a neutral. So I have power rated higher than Cincinnati. Auburn, Pittsburgh, Iowa State, Ole Miss, Wisconsin, Oklahoma State, Texas A and M. I'd take all of them over since Utah. I'd take over Cincinnati. So I, I, this, I, I don't need to see this. I'm not cheering for them <laughs> because they're not good. I don't need to see the 13th, 14th, 15th best team in the country get into a playoff and then play Georgia and lose by 20 points. I'm not interested in that. I, I'd much rather see a team that's got some sort of a chance not that anybody's really got a, a chance against Georgia that's going to be in that like I don't know that anybody besides Alabama and Ohio State would really give them a, a, a push. But I would much rather see a, a, an Oregon or a, a – God, I can't believe I'm going to say it. I'd rather see Oklahoma. I'd, I'd rather see Notre Dame have a chance. I, it, it's, I just don't believe in this team at all. So I, 
we'll see. Maybe, maybe they, uh, maybe they prove me wrong. Maybe they get to the playoff and they beat Georgia and I'm, I'm a, I'm a moron. <laughs> All right. Let's talk. Let's talk about the other team that I've been shouting from the rooftops is phony. One of the teams I don't have power rated above Cincinnati, Michigan state plus 19 at Ohio state. Yeah. I think Michigan state's going to get run out of the gym. And um, the only reason I wouldn't take Ohio State, even it was, I mean, it's a massive number, but I think this sets up to have uh, a little backdoor cover action as high as the total is at 67. I think if there was a play, it would probably be the over. Um, Ohio State just looked unbelievable against Purdue and their passing efficiency. And guess what? Michigan State doesn't do very well. Stop the pass. That's exactly right. So, um, you know, 76 in the country for Michigan State and defensive success rate. They're just not a very good unit, and their secondary is – watch them against Purdue a little closer than I had in the past. And it's scheme. It's, it, I think, not great players. There's not anybody that's a world beater on in their secondary. But the easy, uncontested catches are there all game. It's really unbelievable. And for any sort of decent offensive mind, especially what Ohio State's going to throw at you, I'm not expecting Michigan State to get many stops in this game. Um, The other thing that I worry about for Michigan State is this is the type of game that you see Ohio State jump out to a lead. And the one thing Michigan State does extremely well with Kenneth Walker is run the football, but you limit that if you're having, if you're playing from behind. So um, I like Ohio State in this game. I like them big. The only reason I would stay away from the number is it sets up for they're up, you know, five scores in the second half, and you get some of the backups in, and Michigan State claws back to you know cutting this to a you know a seventeen point loss. Um, but again, the, the the total there I think is uh, I like the over there, but you know I also lost my total last week. So what do I know? Yeah, C.J. Stroud has got to be licking his chops looking at this team. Three times this year, Sparty's played against a top 30 passing attack. 30th ranked Miami, De'Eric King threw for 388 and two touchdowns. 26th ranked Purdue, Aiden O'Connell, 536 yards and four touchdowns last week. And then our boy, 14th ranked Bailey Zappi, Western Kentucky, 488 yards, three touchdowns. Ohio State, they're ranked eighth in passing. Their receivers grade, number one. They've, they've got three NFL receivers on their team. I'm likely – and on the other side, you mentioned Kenneth Walker. He's carried them to some nice wins. He's the only really good thing about this offense. It, the Buckeyes allow 3.1 yards per carry. That's 10th in college football. They've allowed 79 rushing yards per game in their last three just 107 on the season. So this is – Michigan State, again, another team that's been playing with fire. They could have lost to an awful Indiana team. They should have lost to Michigan. They did lose to a four-loss Purdue team, and they just beat a Maryland team that is, you know, has basically lost five of six since they started out a phony 0-4. And, and now they're playing a motivated Ohio State team. Uh, I, I'm with you. I kind of – I. I think I'm going to be involved in the Ohio State team total. And I may look at Ohio State in the first half because I worry that they've, I mean, they've got look ahead against a real team in Michigan. So they may want to take the foot off the pedal in the second half. But I think when you're this close to the end and you've got no room, you know, for like, there's no room for error. 
maybe you don't take your foot off the gas in this thing. And if Ohio State wants to run it up, they're going to because they this Michigan State team is just not built to stop them. So I, I don't know if I'm going to be playing the, the minus 19. I'll be involved in some way on Ohio State scoring a lot of points. That's That's the way I'm going to get into this thing. Yeah, we're on the same page. All right, let's get into before we get into our uh, our our best bets. Let's McKenzie hop on, give us a, a update on the standings. AJ, you continue to lead. You have thirty four points. Taylor, you're right behind with thirty. You both are beating expectations. If you won fifty percent of your bets, you'd have won twenty eight bets or twenty eight points with okay. three, two, one counting. All right. So we, listen, Taylor. Like I said, I don't want you to lose. I just want you to lose to me. Yeah, you're like uh, I'm like your favorite golfer that you bring with you, and you're like I I don't want you to suck really badly. I just don't want you to be better than me. <laughs> That's it. That's it, man. All right, I'll give you the honors. What's your uh, what's your your three star game this week? I owe Butch Davis an apology because we've faded him all year, and frankly, I'm about to do it again in a second. But after all the stuff that he said this week, um, I, I take back my some of my my. Uh, by making fun of them and realize that some of this is just out of his hands. However, that being said, I was on a team that had to win four straight to go to a bowl game, and we did it. And I know how important these last couple games can be where otherwise people are not really paying attention and don't think much of this. North Texas getting guys healthy and playing better football in the back half of the schedule, going to FIU. This is really just a bet on FIU with all of the – I mean, it's a one-and-nine team. They're not very good. They can't score. And I had a North Texas game when they played Rice a couple weeks ago. This is not a bad offensive team. And there's some weapons on offense, I think, against this FIU unit. They're going to get theirs. I think they're going to they're gonna score plenty. And, again, I worry about FIU, regardless of the headlines and what we've read about, I worry about their ability to score – in any game against any opponent, especially this week with what's going on. I think they're going to be distracted. I think you're going to have all sorts of kids looking around in the transfer portal. Um, so give me the mean green minus nine and a half on the road at FIU. Yeah. I, I looked at this game and my initial thought was going to be, yeah, I'm, I'm going to fade Florida international again, because that's, that's main. It's been a very profitable system. Uh, I, I think I, I, I maybe like three weeks in a row I've made money betting against FIU, I worry a little bit here that maybe Butch Davis, like what he said. Do you get makes, the reverse effect? Yeah, maybe the kids want to fight a little harder for him. Like, And I know that you know it's, it's obviously too late, but maybe like now that everybody sees what, what they're up against, they come out and just give their best effort. Yeah. So yeah. The only other thing I'd add on North Texas, 7-3 and three against the spread this year, and a couple games – not that long ago, should have beat Liberty at home, had that game. They could have put that game away in the third quarter and and hung around, hung around, let Malik Willis come back, and they lost that game. Yeah. It's not a bad football team. Um, I hear what you're saying. There, There's always the chance that you get some crazy spirited effort and they come out and play their, their game of the year. But I am betting that the exact opposite happens. And I wonder, like, I know North Texas, they've won three games in a row, and now they're like, what they're, they, if they win two more, they're bowl eligible. I think they also have to look at the end of their schedule and see UTSA right there and go, right. damn it, that sucks. Because even if we beat FIU, uh, what happens then? Uh, and I know, I'm sure kids don't think that way. I'm sure you thought you guys were going to win most games, but that it's got to be a little disheartening knowing you're a team that 
you know, you, you've lost to Louisiana Tech and Marshall. Like you're, the likelihood that you're beating UTSA is pretty low. Uh, but I don't – again, that's all that kept me off of it. I, I think from an X's and O's standpoint, you, you're certainly on the right side. Uh, I am going to go for my three-star. I'm going to go with South Alabama plus 28 at Tennessee. And it, generally I'm a believer in Tennessee's offense, but this is just – it's too many points. They didn't do anything in the second half against Georgia. I get it. That's Georgia. Nobody does anything against Georgia. All right. South Alabama's a top 50 defense nationally. This is a, a pretty solid D. And they've they've held opponents to 320 yards per game. You may have heard of their quarterback because he's played college football for six years, Jake Bentley. He's He got injured a couple games ago. He's back on the practice field. I don't know if he's going to play. If he does, I, I love, love, love this play. The number kind of tells me he's unlikely to play. Desmond Trotter's not been very good in his place, which is maybe a little bit of a concern. But if he does play, I mean, Jake Bentley went 3-0 and against Tennessee when he was at South Carolina. So this is a guy who has beat this team handily before. Here's the deal. Desmond Trotter, in the two games that he's played, well, the game and a half that he's played, he played against Troy and Appalachian State, two defenses that grade in the top 50. Both of them are better than Tennessee. And the only FBS teams Tennessee's beaten by four touchdowns this year, Bowling Green and Missouri, who happen to be the two worst defensive they've, they've seen all year. So I think South Alabama on defense alone has enough to hang around uh, against a team that, that got smacked around last weekend. And really, like, Tennessee's got no reason to go out and get margin right now. Like, you just came off your most physical game of the year. You just got beat up bad by a Georgia team. I can't imagine these kids are going out and with their most spirited effort against South Alabama. This this feels like a spot where you, you won't get their best game. So I'll take South Alabama plus 28 for my best bet this weekend. There's so much – this is so interesting because – Tennessee, these games traditionally for the SEC, this is your your get healthy game. This is where you your starters play as little as you can get away with, and then you try and get your backups in. On the flip side, you talked about Jake Bentley, who's like he's like my age. I mean, that guy's been around for forever. Um, Twenty sixteen was his first year of college football. <laughs> if he plays, I think this impacts obviously is huge in your favor. The only thing I worry about is for totally different reasons they may approach this game similarly in that this is their third road game. They got beat up last week against App State, a game that they really – I mean, the, the the score is deceiving, 31-7. to seven. They had so many opportunities to score in that game. And I wonder if there's some sort of look ahead because they're not going to win this game, but they only need one more to get bowl eligible. Do Is this a, hey, we're just going to kind of take this and then get to the next week to try and get our sixth win against Coastal, who – it doesn't look nearly as good with their quarterback out. That's the only thing I would be concerned about. But like you said, the flip side is Tennessee by nature doesn't win their spreads. They don't win by that much really ever. And this is your get right game where you probably get your backups in pretty early. So um, don't hate it, but it's uh, I could, I could see this one going either way. All right. Where are you going for your second play? I am going with a team that I, if you had told me I was going to take this, you know, even like two weeks ago, I would have told you you were crazy. Um, but I, after after the win last week at home, I'm going to go with Florida State on the road at BC. I think if you look back at the trend 
uh, Florida State playing much better football. Um, the win against Miami, love that for Mike Norvell and that staff because they're finally getting on the right side of things. And gosh, if you just think about back the the Hail Mary that Jacksonville State hit against them. I mean, this team really had a chance to go bowling this year. But just in the past few weeks, went at North Carolina, UMass, then they lose, you know, they were in game against Clemson and NC State and then the big win over Miami. You know, they're plus two at BC. I think this is the better team. I think they win this game outright. So I'm going to take the Knowles riding high. And I keep talking about bowl eligibility. They're sitting here at four and six. Their last two games at BC, at Florida. You're telling Winnable me they games. can't win. You're telling me they can't win both of these games. This team, they could go beat Florida. Look at where Florida's at right now. Dan Mullen may be out before that game anyway. I think there's a chance they win both of these games. But for this week, I like them plus two at uh, Boston College. I, I don't disagree with that one at all. I, I, I don't think uh, – I, I think Florida State's better than they were a month or two ago. They're actually competitive right now. So I, I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing out of them. Uh, my two-star play, I'm going to go I'm, – I'm going to stay in the fun belt uh, with Appalachian State – Minus nine and a half at Troy, and we just talked. I just talked about Troy's defense and how it was one of the better, uh, better defenses that, or one of the 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 better defenses that uh, that uh, the South Alabama's played. That doesn't mean that they're great. Trust me, uh, <laughs> especially especially against the pass. And Appalachian State's on a mission right now. That since they lost to Louisiana. They knocked off previously unbeaten Coastal. They beat ULM, Arkansas State, and South by South Alabama by an average of 30 points per game. They're going out and just stomping these bad teams. And Troy, been good at stopping the run, but they're going to have a tough time against this App State pass attack. And it's sort of a poor man's Ohio State, which we talked about earlier, having you know three legit wide receivers, Sparty not having enough to, uh, to stop them on the back end. App State has three wide receivers that grade top five in the Sun Belt per PFF. And their quarterback, uh, Chase Bryce, the kid from – he transferred from Duke. He's done a good job spreading the ball around. He's given them – App State last year was good. It just felt like if they if they were ever in a game that they needed to throw in, they wouldn't be able to. And it's, it's different now. They've, it, it, they're a, a multidimensional offense now. And Troy's offense is not particularly good running or throwing. So I think they're going to have a hard time keeping up. App State's defense, ninth nationally in success rate. So I'm going to go with Appalachian State minus nine and a half for my number two pick. I like it because I really like App State. I think it's a it's a good football team. Um, and I just like watching them play. Um, nothing really from me on that one. I, I like that one just fine. Um, for my one star, I'm staying in the ACC, and I have won a fair amount betting against Clemson this year, and I'm hoping to do the same <laughs> in this one again with my one star. This is really going to come down. I, I think Clemson could win this game, but I worry about Wake Forest is so they they're so high powered throwing the ball that even against Clemson's defense I think they're going to get theirs and Clemson still can't really score on anyone um so what do you mean they put up 44 against Connecticut (laughs) after giving up the greatest opening 
Oh my gosh! Return. You know what's crazy about that? I like I I told you last week. I I was thinking about betting Clemson. I'm so glad I didn't. And the, the more I looked at it, I I thought you know what I might do is bet the the UConn team total under, and it was three and a half. And I was like, all they got to do is not let them score a touchdown, and then Connecticut takes the opening kickback, ninety nine kickback. yards. It's like, oh, you got to be kidding. Thank God I stayed away from that. But, of course, Connecticut did literally nothing for the rest of the game. Like, they didn't get to 100 yards passing. I mean, it was just, it was, it's hard to move the ball on this team. But Wake Forest, they're going to move the ball. Right. So, again, road dogs plus four and a half. Clemson could win this game. But if they do, I think it's a closer to a field goal. So, I'll take the Demon Deacons plus four and a half at Clemson. Yep, I looked at it too. So I I don't hate this. And and Wake Forest still playing for the ACC championship. The the Which loss is, to- by the way, I I forgot about this, and I saw this when I was looking at at my notes. Wake Forest with the one loss to North Carolina. For anybody that doesn't know this, they had scheduled that previously as a non conference game. That if you go back and look, Wake Forest is six and zero in conference. The game against North Carolina that they lost another against another ACC team does not count towards their conference slate. So, so they're still the best team in the ACC. They are still the best team in the ACC. So, and, and really if they win, if they win against Clemson, they they've got Boston college next, which they should sleepwalk through. Uh, And Wake Forest has a chance to be a a top 10 team at the end of the season. And I, I, you know, I, I, I'm assuming it would be Pitt that they'd play in the, uh, the, the championship game. Uh, which, which the total in that would be like 84 and it should be uh and if not I, I don't even know who else i mean maybe virginia but virginia without brennan armstrong is just awful 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 so i, I think it, i think that's what we're setting up is a a pit wake uh matchup uh but clemson of course they're sitting at five and two in conference they still feel like and they've got this game and then south carolina a rivalry game uh, you know, they, they still feel like they can make, make this season. Like if they, if Clemson finishes nine and three, it's not Clemson standards, but it's not like that's an awful, dreadful season. Like if, if your worst season in, in 10 years is nine and three, you're doing okay. Yeah. That's what I, I was looking at that. Also, if, if you get to the end of this season and you're nine and three, and that is your if if we look back at this, it's all going to depend on how Clemson rebounds. And really, it's gonna what I think is going to be fascinating is freshman quarterback coming in, Cade Klubnik. Does he overtake DJ? And can they get on the right side of things on offense? But if you look back, if by next season they're right back in it and they've reloaded, if we look back and say, man, remember when we thought the sky was falling and they they had a three loss year and one of them was to the probable national champion in Georgia. Probably doesn't look nearly as bad right. as we felt at the time. Isn't it crazy to think? And this is how you know that people don't know shit about you know scouting. That DJ Ungalele and Spencer Rattler were like the the projected number one, number two quarterbacks for the NFL. Like these were the two guys that were going to be the best quarterbacks at the next level. And now people are like, Ooh, should they even start? What? Like it's crazy how little people know until you see these guys actually play in the NFL. Yeah. Taylor Heineke just beat Tom Brady. We don't know anything. (laughs) All right. Uh, I will go to my one star play and it's Nebraska, Nebraska plus nine and a half and Nebraska sucks at winning football games. 
But the good news is... They're great keeping it close. That is right, my friend. There's seven losses this year, average five and a half points per game. That's the margin in those seven losses. They have not lost a game by double digits all season. They've played Oklahoma, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. Like they've they've played a damn good team, a damn good schedule. Not once have they lost by double digits. Wisconsin's won six straight. Their offense is better than it was early in the season, but that's like, I mean, that's not saying much. Uh, their, their offense was completely dreadful early in the season. But what Nebraska does on defense is they they take away big plays. You're going to have to nickel and dime Nebraska to death. And if that's the case, and we're looking at a total here that's sitting at 41 and a half, and I'm getting nine and a half points, I feel like there's real value on, on the Cornhuskers here. What do you think? I think it's the reason Scott Frost got to keep his job is they are right there. And I think that it's a great pick because they don't get blown out. That's not a bad football team. It's not a good football team. I know. I mean, the great Bill Parcells quote, you, you are what your record says you are. And it's true. But there is a difference in teams that keep everything close and they just haven't figured out a way to win and a three and nine team that gets their doors blown off in those nine losses. So I don't hate it at all because they just don't lose big. Um, go ahead. Yeah. I, I think that uh, Adrian Martinez is it, it, like probably the best thing that can happen will be like, he finally leaves eventually. Like, I feel like he's been there for 20 years. Uh, but I also think he's, he's just a junior and I don't, I don't know how that math works, but either way he, it feels like they're, a decent quarterback away from being solid. You know what I mean? And it's just, he makes so many mistakes. It's just hard for them to overcome because they don't have a a lot of huge playmakers and he's not a huge playmaker, but if they were getting like even remotely good quarterback play, I feel like they'd be all right (laughs) in a low, a game where not a lot, like, like I say, a 41 and a half point game, it's a game that you don't you don't have to have a bunch of explosive stuff to hang with this team. All, all you got to do is not screw it up. So just play smart. I, I think it'd be good for him to run the ball some uh, in, in this game and just kind of control the clock. That's what they did against Ohio State. It, it, he he. It's not like he ran effectively against Ohio State. He had he had fifty one yards rushing on eighteen carries, but that's eighteen carries which kept the clock moving and kept you within nine of you know probably the second best team in the country so I, I think that's got to be the strategy try to keep try to keep this game as short as possible and I, I think they can do that keep it within double within single digits so Nebraska plus nine and a half will be my one star what's your uh what's your total this week Taylor yeah I'm going to keep this really brief because I only have really one reason I'm taking it I've got the under eh, 56 and a half with UMass and Army and it's because I don't think UMass is going to score so that, that's what the bet is it's yeah uh, how, how many mean, points because Army will score it will right Army, uh, Army's going to get theirs I'm just expecting you know they have a couple of their patented nine minute drives that have some penalties that stall part of it but they still score and I think they get somewhere in the the mid to high 40s by themselves I think that half point is is huge in this game they very well may uh, I could very easily see this you know being a a 49 to 7 type of game or even a 56 to 0 type of game Um, but I am banking on UMass really not scoring in this game this may be a game where you want to look at a UMass team total under 
<laughs> just like uh, just to be safe. <laughs> yeah, just to be safe because I, I mean, Army could just wear this this team out. Uh, I'm going to go with San Diego State and UNLV under 41 and a half. And San Diego State's gone Yeesh. under in five of their last six games. They've got the best. I, they've got the best punter maybe I've ever seen in college football. San Diego State does. He should win the Heisman. And UNLV, they've put up some points in their last few games, but they're still they're still great out 110th in offense, and they are particularly bad on the offensive line. They're they're bad blocking for the run. They're bad bad pass blocking. That's that's where you can least afford to be bad against San Diego State. San Diego State 107th in tempo, UNLV 115th in tempo, and San Diego State has a rivalry game on deck with Boise. They're likely just going to put the clamps down, get out of this one without injuries, just in the game, run the ball. UNLV, 119th in yards per game on offense. San Diego State, 10th on defense in yards allowed per game. So I just don't see either I – mean, UNLV's not going to score – or uh, UNLV won't score many against this team. San Diego State doesn't score many ever. So I just see this being just a grinded-out game, maybe like a, a 28-7 type of game. So – San Diego State, UNLV under 41 and a half will be my total for the week. I love all the reasoning. I hate UNLV because the one time <laughs> I fade them with Hawaii coming to the mainland, they decided oh. to score. I think that was their – oh, no, they did score 30 against Fresno, um, but they don't score on anybody all season and then get to the 27 mark against Hawaii, so I've got some scar tissue there. But, yeah, I mean, they make I, You know what? They make blanked in this game. I'm going to make a guarantee right now. This is a money-back guarantee. UNLV will not score 28 points against San Diego State. I feel confident I in that. I think that you're right. Okay, thank you. Is there? Can I find that out there anywhere? I don't know. I don't know. But if you can, it, I'm, I'm sorry. Bet it like like it's all, like the game's already been played. Yeah. Well, I need day. I need a rebound after my one and three performance, but I did get the three star. So anybody that that, that makes up for uh, a lot, man, rode with me on that one. Uh, thank you for your unwavering support, and hopefully we get a combined 8 no this week. That's what I'm hoping for as well. All right, great job, Taylor. We'll talk to you next week, guys. All right, appreciate it, guys.